0: presents the keith lowell jensen show with keith lowell jensen hey here i am keith lowell jensen himself to meet all your keith lowell jensen needs thank you for joining us here uh and as always at the top of the hour we thank our sponsor Burley beverages at dot they make artisanal gourmet soda syrups and old-timey shrubs. And you can get 15% off your order at BurleyBeverages.com or at the Burley Tasting Room on Del Paso Boulevard in Sacramento, California, which is becoming Burley Takeout. And they're going to start having food and stuff. They made a big announcement this week. It's very exciting. Um, KLJ Rules—that's K L That's K-L-J-R-U-L-E-Z, all caps. That's the discount code that will get you that 15% off. But why settle for fifteen percent off when you can get free burly stuff? You want some free burly stuff? Let me bring in my producer Joe to explain this amazing concept. Joe, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good, man. It's free burly stuff. Lay it on me. How's this work?
1: Yeah, well I talked to Gabe and uh, from Burley. And Gabe he, the Burley uh, Man. Gabe the Burley man. And he threw out a bunch of ideas of giveaway stuff. So we're going to start with our first one here right now.
0: Cool. He was into it. So what's he what's he want to give away?
1: Well, if we just quote Gabe the burly Man himself, he said, quote, We can totes do a mojito kit with our black lime, bay leaf, shrub syrup, a measured shot glass, a stir spoon, seltzer water, and dehydrated limes for garnish. The winner would need to supply their own fresh mint and white rum. Oh, what a
0: what a ripoff! No fresh mint or white rum. So <laughs> 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 are we running?
1: So it, that's a nice little amazing. kit. Sounds amazing. That's,
0: yeah, that's a cool little kit there. And the black lime bay leaf shrub, and and shrubs are like an old timey syrup. They're they're a little vinegary, which doesn't make them sound good, but it actually is good. <laughs> uh, and and it's and he found these old timey recipes, and then he learned them, and then he updated them. Really like. He's like a master guess. chef of making
1: syrups. Absolutely. And I would guess that this is going to be the best mojito you've ever had.
0: Yes. And and if that's not enough, I'm going to throw in a signed copy of my book, Punching Nazis and Other Good Ideas. I'll sign that. We'll add it. It's going to be great. So cool. How do people, do they just put their wish into the universe and hope we hear them? What do they do?
1: Yep. Pray to your God. And hopefully that kit will fall in your lap. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, we're gonna make it like a like a follow the social media tag people kind of contest. So you're gonna to go to our Instagram for the podcast, which is at klj podcast p o d c a s t.
0: And Find we didn't put any stupid underscores or anything in there. It's just klj podcast. Don't be stupid.
1: That's right. <laughs> Find the post and like it. Obviously, make sure you're following the podcast and follow Burley Beverages, and you can see all the cool stuff they post all the time all their recipes and new shrubs and syrups are making tag a friend in the comments that's your ticket so every time you tag a friend in the comments under the post for the contest you get entered in
0: you get another you chance can, of winning
1: yep you can tag as many people as you want you can tag, tag your, your mom you can tag Ta- your sister <laughs> who else can you tag joe you could tag your sister's dog's account that she put more time into than she does her own account because she really should get out more.
0: She's such a loser, your sister.
1: <laughs> you could tag all the ghost accounts that you have because you're a troll.
0: Such a troll. I like this. I'm like your hype man.
1: <laughs> tag just, away, just man. Tag away. Tag away. Go tag crazy. Away, tag away. And we'll, we'll and, pick a winner in, uh, in a couple weeks and uh, we'll ship all that stuff to our winner.
0: Very cool, also, while you're at it, everybody, subscribe and review that's the best thing you can do to support us uh, Joe you you excited about this episode's guest
1: I am Adam Davis no, definitely a link Katie fan myself.
0: Oh that's cool yeah and you you used to play in a reggae band that's right. did you ever play with them? no. All right. Well, Adam Davis is a musician. As Joe mentioned, he's performed in Link 80. He currently performs in Omnigon. And I've performed with him in Narboots, which uh, we'll talk about Narboots. Uh, And then also Desa, D-E-S-A. He works as an illustrator and he co-hosts the In Defense of Ska podcast with Aaron Carnes, who you may remember as our second guest ever on this podcast. Aaron's book is coming up. If you haven't ordered it, uh, go get it. Adam Davis, how are you?
2: I'm good. I'm I'm a little bit upset though that um I've been on after Corbett and Blake and Aaron. I had been my turn.
0: Yeah, you're the last <laughs> member. I'm the
2: last member of that group of people.
0: Of Narboots to come on. Yeah. Um except no, that's not true. Okay. We're gonna talk we're gonna start off talking about Narboots, I guess. You just made that happen. Sure. First of all, I'm going to get to the, there is a Narboots, an official Narboots member who's, who hasn't been on yet. But first of all, I want you to explain to the listeners, Narboots has to be one of the weirdest and most magical things I've ever been part of. What is your shortest, like most efficient description? And I know that's a tall order because Narboots is hard to describe, but what is Narboots to the uninitiated?
2: Narboots is musical terrorism. It's a, (laughs) it's a cult that is designed to uplift and assimilate the participant in in the ethos of we are all Narboots. And it's to disassemble the preconceptions around and and running through live music and to upend upend its structure. And so the way that manifests itself in in real life is in, ra- in, radical radical physical jamming um strobe lights uh smoke machines glitter smiles a parachute um, touching other people there you uh, go them touching you you touching them uh close proximity loud drums drum machines
0: um i i think the thing that for me is most striking and unusual about narboots is a, racing the line between audience and performer. Every time I've seen you guys and, and participated and, and been part of it, there's a drum in the audience. Mm-hmm. There's you guys are in the audience the whole time. You are yeah. not just inviting the audience to participate, but kind of demanding. I mean, your, your partner, Aaron is, is, in people's face, I mean, he's like, yeah. "You will participate." <laughs> People better leave the room if they want Aaron to leave them alone and they want to not participate. Um, yeah, you get everybody under the parachute. You get mm-hmm. everybody engaged, involved. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's a it's not a spectator experience.
2: No, it's very much a, a you're being challenged to participate within the 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 thing that we're trying to create, and I think a, a big. A big part of the inspiration for it harkens back to a. Um, there was a band that I never actually got to see, but I would just read reviews about called Crash Worship. I did were, see them. You saw them. So y- since you've seen Crash Worship, and all I have to go on is is recently I've seen YouTube videos. But as a teenager, I remember reading about their shows from the description of of uh, what what you would imagine like being a teenager and hearing about Crash Worship but never seeing them, have we done a close approximation of creating something in a similar vein to what they were trying to do?
0: Yeah. No, I only saw them once. Okay. Uh, And it was a decompression party for Burning Man. Huge Mm -hmm. crowd. I like that every time I've worked at Narboots, it's been uh, a crowd that wasn't as big as that. Yeah, Because I don't feel that you, you you couldn't fit the whole audience under the the giant parachute, as big as that parachute is, in the room where I saw Crash Worship. So Mm -hmm. uh, you guys, I think, achieved it a little bit more than they did, at least on that occasion. But Mm -hmm. I also, I mean, I love that Paul McCartney wrote uh, Helter Skelter after reading a description of a Who song. I yeah. think it was I Can See for Miles and Miles. That was supposed to be the hardest, heaviest song ever written. And Paul's like, ooh, I want to write a hard, heavy song. And then he heard it and he was like, that's not even hard and heavy. And so he wrote yeah. your know, uh, Skelter. I love the fact that you were going off of descriptions of Crash Worship. And there's there's no better way to be sure that you create something that's your own.
2: Yeah. I mean, and not remember, an imitation.
0: It, you remember it's like-
2: Bam Magazine, right? bay area music bay area band. music
0: yeah yeah I,
2: i'm pretty sure i read a review of a of a crash worship show in bam and the description of the that you couldn't discern who was in the band and who wasn't people were jumping off the stage with drums and there was right. fire and and crazy dancing I, I like, felt
0: a much more of a separation, though, between band and audience. It was mm. like they marched through the audience, and yeah. it was exhilarating. It really was. Yeah. It was effective. But there was still, they were them and we were us. And with yeah. Narboots, I feel like you get lost in it.
2: Yeah. And I, I and also, from what I understand, some of the people from Crash Worship went on to do Extra Action Marching Band. Which okay. I I feel like is even further in that direction of marching through the audience. Right. And and you definitely know who's part of it and who is not. Right. Um, but they but they vigorously uh, vigorously prove to you that you are not part of it.
0: Well, let, let's talk about the one member of Narboots who has now never graced this podcast. Sure. I understand that you auctioned off membership in
2: Narboots.
0: Yeah. It was at, your part kids, of a-, at a benefit for your kids' school.
2: Yeah, it was a preschool fundraiser, and that's uh,
0: hilarious.
2: I was just like, "What's the weirdest thing we could auction off?" And I was like, How right. about "Being in Narboots? And there was actually a bidding war for it. And uh, our friend, our friend Mark Pankowski, he actually hovered over the clipboard that he had to sign his name on with, <laughs> with the price, because um, he really, really wanted it. And, and and
0: he was into it because he didn't just do it the one time and go, "Ha ha, this was a laugh." Cross it off my bucket list. Every time I saw you guys, he showed
2: up. Oh yeah, he was. It, I think it really helped to change his perception of himself at, at this at this age. I mean, for those who don't know, Mark he's he's an unassuming uh, Salesforce tech guy, gray hair. <laughs> he's glasses, the last very, guy that you think sweet.
0: is, is going to be in this weird experimental electronic chaos band
2: and and for his first show um i i sent him a cryptic email letting him know when to be ready letting him know what to wear um i i ordered him a a -a one-of-a-kind mask this (laughs) terrifying like woman's face that's blue um i gave him this mask I took him to the show. He got to see Vantana Rowe perform outside of the DNA Lounge and then uh, they
0: they are absolutely incredible.
2: Yeah. And then and then that show at DNA Lounge was probably one of our best shows. And there were laser lights and smoke machines and a and a big sing along about god knowing what's in your heart. And and then at the end of the night I took him to the best taco truck in Oakland, Tacos Me Rancho. I bought him a gigantic burrito. So at this and, point, it's like, yeah, the guy won the auction, you gave him a hell of a night. And you Yeah, I mean, and you know I'm guessing was, you thought, call it a day, right? Well, no, because I mean, once you're in Narboots, you're in Narboots. <laughs> <laughs> but did you did you think that he was gonna keep showing up? Yes, one hundred percent. You did okay. Even if even if I had not been the one to instigate it, I, I'm positive that he would have still come along. And also Mark's just such a, a nice, easygoing guy that it's like you know, more hands make for less work. So when we're blowing up balloons and, you know, cleaning up glitter at the end of the night or
0: Right. Boom, that's what that's another thing that I love. You you talk about erasing the the kind of post the rock star posturing. The minute thing at things end, you've just been this uh uh what's the guy that stands in front of an orchestra. You've been this conductor, conductor yeah of chaos and disorder. And then you grab a broom and a dustpan.
2: <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> and was actually. Start, I love kind that. Of at, the, at the insistence of our of our drummer Joey, who um, felt really. Oh, and Joey's awkward. never been on. Yeah. There's two members of Narboots haven't been on yet. Yeah, he felt he felt really awkward about us creating all this chaos and then just leaving other people, you know, holding holding the mess. And I I agreed. I was like, yeah, we really should do something about that. So we have like a big flagpole that we have a Narboots flag on that we wave around during the set. And that flagpole is actually the handle for the broom that we <laughs> that we then sweep up the club with.
0: Uh, the difference between anarchists and libertarians. If I, <laughs> <laughs> if
2: I can slip in a
0: little barb. Uh, so great. Now, there's an aspect to Narboots that's very cult-like. Yes. And I started out very religious in life, and I believe you did as well. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was drawn to the Church of the Subgenius. Mm-hmm. I think that the appeal was a lot of the same appeal that's in Narboots, because it, at the one hand, it's satirizing the cultishness, but it's also kind of celebrating it and, and playing with the effective aspects of it. Right. Um, there's a reason people are drawn to cults. And yeah. is there a way you can have fun with it and use it for positivity? There is a thing in Narboots where you, I mean, I've seen you do something that was very similar to an altar call when we were at Gilman Street and you've marched everyone out the doors of the venue into the street and then Mm -hmm. had everyone raise their hand and not just promised that they were Narboots, but but promised to like be true to themselves and support each other and like really positive messages. And it was like disturbingly cult like and positive and wonderful all at once. And I love that. I mean, that. Mm I told you at the time that Narboots was as close to church as I had in my life at the moment. And that I loved it. And I, I meant that it was a really like uh, other people will call it spiritual. Uh, You know, I would say it had the psychological effect on me (laughs) that, that church has on people that, that people call spiritual. I,
2: I think, I think when we're able to gather in places again and, and do shows um Narboots is going to take on a whole new level of cultness. <laughs> oh yeah? Um, yeah, because well since since the last Narboots show I started doing Omnigon which is a, you know, good old ska punk hardcore band. And the thing that was always kind of holding me back in Narboots was feeling like a, as it's masquerading as a band, I kept feeling torn that we weren't that we weren't creating the music more that it was, it was, you know, backup music, electronic music coming from an iPod with live drums over it and us and us carrying on over the top. Now that I, I don't feel like I need to prove myself as a musician in Narboots, it can fully go full cult mode. I feel like (laughs) okay when we bring it back. Um, So I think the shows will be extra special.
0: I did, I did a few different incarnations of of my involvement in our boots and, and I, and I loved them both in very different ways. But at at one show you had the entire audience lay down and I told them a story Yep. and that was so like, you know, there'll be graham crackers and milk sort of like, and I even had one guy that was really wild and he kept like rolling into me and stuff and I, and I turned him and I used something that my daughter's teacher used in kindergarten i looked at him and i said it's okay that you have all this energy it's not a bad thing <laughs> uh, take it outside the circle and when you're ready bring it back come back in you know <laughs> and i talked to him so like gently and nurturingly and he went yeah i have no idea what he was on or if this was his natural state but he's just like yeah the other time though i'm i'm at gilman street in a full suit which yeah. already people are suspicious. So like, why is the guy walking around in a suit? <laughs> like, yeah. This is Gilman. Not that I'm the first person to wear a suit in Gilman because people express themselves in all kinds of weird and wonderful ways. But it definitely got, you yeah, know, people were like wondering. And then I stood and I read from the Book of Gnar. And I read yeah. this, this very religious sounding text that you had written in my best like preacher voice. And getting really pounding at fire and brimstone towards the end. That was a blast. Yeah, that was fun in a totally different
2: way. I think I actually have that book on the shelf right next to me. Let me nice. lean over. Yeah, I have it right here.
0: The Book of Nar. <laughs> why? Why are you offering a reading from the Book of Nar this evening? In this Adam?
2: dream, love wins. Love overcomes <laughs> death. Death is not the en- not an ending, but a new beginning. But only in on dreams. But here the harshness of reality comes crashing down on our thick skulls. We dance to feel alive, to keep death's bitter ash from filling our lungs. On this day, we must dance for those who cannot. We fight to dance. We dance for the fallen narboots. Dance, dance, dance.
0: And I screamed those last three dances. Just dance. I mean, yeah. Oh, so much fun. And so just that was
2: probably one of our best performances. It
0: was super say. fun. Well, and to get to perform at Gilman, uh, I mean, yeah. we just had Corbett on and right. We talk, I mean, Gilman is a legendary venue and coming from Sacramento, it was a place that we sort of whispered about in the shadows.
2: <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, I was I was on the, you know, the opposite end of that coming up from Gilroy to go to shows at Gilman. Um, it was it was a, a place where I very much wanted to belong and felt like an outsider for a very long time. Right. And then eventually was somebody who you know was was in there a little bit more and and now I'm I've aged out of it. Like I feel like there's a whole <laughs> new group of kids who have taken ownership of it. My only my only thing there is I want to see them take full ownership of it. Like there's I feel like in a, in a small way, Gilman has become a little bit of a museum and some okay. of the, the punk rock things that happen there have become ritualized. It, it's history
0: I, weighs heavily.
2: I, I would like to see that upended. I would like to see the new generation of these of these young, mostly trans punks completely obliterate and create something anew. That's just me. Um, they don't have to do that. They're they're allowed to do their own thing, but like, I'm stoked that they're there, but I want to see them take it further. So
0: you said you were coming in from Gilroy. Yeah. Is that where the Adam Davis story starts?
2: Yeah, that's, that's where, uh, I met Aaron Carnes. Um, we played, we played in a, what was it? A barn. (laughs) Aaron had a band called Flat Planet. I had a band with two of the horn players. They played bass and drums in my band and we were called Solution X. And we played a show with a ska punk band, The Hippos.
0: Is this Uh, high
2: school? uh, I think I was just out of high school. Okay. Um, So I was like 18 going on 19. So you guys are playing in a barn in Gilroy. Yeah, because that was the type of shows you had. Available to you down there. There were no venues. The closest venue was kind of a pay-to-play place in Morgan Hill that I didn't realize was pay-to-play at the time. And then when they stopped doing shows there, it was just San Jose, which is thirty-five miles. So if you don't have money for gas or a car, you may as well live on the moon.
0: That that's awesome though. I mean, that's real like little yeah. rascals. Like my dad's I mean, got a
2: barn, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we made our our own fun in Gilroy. One of the things that I like to do was there was a bridge, the Mantelli Bridge, and uh, it ran over the Uvis Creek. And one of my favorite things to do with friends was just to take stuff over to the bridge and throw it off the bridge and then climb down to the bottom and smash it with giant rocks. That was the type of fun <laughs> <laughs> teenage me was getting into.
0: Hey, you know, uh, it sounds better than uh, than cow tipping or some of the other things I've heard of folks in yeah, small towns getting up to. definitely
2: similar to to that vibe. Yeah, it's...
0: So that's like a, an early Narboots performance Adam smashing things under a bridge.
2: I mean, here's the thing is so I, as a teenager the music that I gravitated towards was like industrial music. So like Me too. Skinny Skinny Puppy was my favorite favorite band. Oh. Einstein Neubauten. like I mean that's obviously why I was reading about bands like Crash Worship. Right. Um but in Gilroy <laughs> Ska punk was the was the cool thing that was happening um, in the nineties. Aaron's right? band Flat Planet, yeah, and so so, so Flat gravitate- Planet
0: was they were the hot ticket in Gilroy.
2: Well, it was that or it was new metal. Okay, so in Gilroy we also had another band called Salmon, who were they started out as kind of funk metal and then eventually got a little bit heavier. And they were, they kind of blew up and were playing shows with like 311 and Korn and the Deftones. And so, you know, it was, you kind of straddled that line. We didn't really get a lot of like punk or hardcore, definitely didn't get any industrial. And so I, I just chose the ska punk side of that equation. And that was kind of where, how I got out of town was I ended up joining flat planet for a brief period of time. And then through that met the guys in link 80 and then joined that band and then just left town. So you were not a founding member of link 80. No, I joined in 98 and they kind of started taking off like 96, 97. And where were they based out of? They were based out of Richmond mostly, but Nick, uh, the lead singer who was Daniel Steele's son, he lived in San Francisco um, yeah. He was the son of the novelist, Daniel Steele. Yeah. And he who writes a those crazy romance that, even novels. Even though he was like a 16, 17 year old kid. Oh, okay. So back to Daniel Steele though, in seventh grade, my wife and I both had the same terrible teacher, Miss. <coughs> who we were in, we were in the gate program, gifted and tell gifted and tell. Oh, I was a gate kid. I was a yeah, rusty okay. gate. <laughs> yeah, so We were in gate two. So we were supposed to be in, in this advanced class. Our teacher was reading us Daniel Steele's The Promise, <laughs> which is oh, so wildly inappropriate. Oh, that's great. Like anytime I go back to Gilroy, I have to stop myself from throwing a brick through this woman's front window, who was my teacher. <laughs> She's the worst. Oh my God. I, I just wrote a
0: joke about getting in touch with my fourth grade teacher. <laughs> who I literally, I hated her. I've, I've carried anger with her for you know, almost 40 years.
2: Yeah. Oh, I think and I saw I, you, you tweeted I, I got in touch way, with her. You?
0: Yeah. I got, yeah. well, cause I, I got in touch with her through social media. I reached her on yeah. Facebook and I was finally able to forgive her once I had a look at her life and, and who she was as a person mm-hmm. and not just as a teacher. Cause that's when I realized that she was a freaking moron. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> this <is> a person, <laughs> I'm amazed can get up and tie her shoes in the morning. I was like, Oh, she didn't mean it. They sent a dum-dum to work with us little smart ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, oh she was terrible on the opposite end of that my fifth grade teacher is to this day one of my best friends because she was friends with uh my wife's my wife's mom my mother-in-law and oh i have some of those i get to hang out with my i get to hang out with my fifth grade teacher all the time and she's like shout out pat rogers she's the coolest human being on the planet
0: that's yeah a good teacher is everything man it's just when everyone's like you know we're all very pro teacher right now and we should be, and they deserve to be paid more. But also we need to remember that some of them are really awful people. And <laughs> maybe if we oh, paid yeah. them more, we could get rid of those ones. <laughs> yeah, We're going to attract so, better talent.
2: So as, as a parent, are are you guys full remote right now? Or are you guys doing a hybrid model?
0: We are full remote. Okay, I just tough. got my appointment to get stabbed
2: nice, on me too. Sunday. Okay. Mine's mine's on Friday.
0: My wife's going in on Friday. If we are both fully vaccinated, because they're starting to bring the kids back in a, in a split program and we'll, we'll play with it when we are fully vaccinated, but we're going to err on the side of caution. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But so backing up a little bit though, how has the remote learning thing been? Wait, whose podcast, whose podcast is this? How did you, how did you just become the host of my podcast? I never get to see you. I did your podcast, my friend, holding my, you're holding my Game Boy. (laughs) I sold you a Game Boy for $20
0: two years, three years ago. And I still still haven't gotten it. Um, So uh, it's horrible and we hate it. And I'm sure I want to go back to talking about your high school years. Sure. Um, What was, what was the band you had then
2: when you played in this barn? Uh, I was in a, that band was Solution X. And then in high school, I actually had a band called Placebo, which there is a band, a real band called Placebo. And before that, (laughs) I had a band. A a real
0: band. I like that distinction.
2: Well, a band that like put out albums and stuff, not just some kids playing dumb shit in their room. Um, And then I had a band that just played the Gilroy High School talent show and we covered The Cure's Disintegration. No, not Disintegration. We covered... Fascination Street off of Disintegration, and we all ratted up our hair and stuff. And that band was called Fool, but it was spelled, okay. It was spelled P H U L E, Fool. Really? <laughs> uh, you yeah, wait. You
0: were a cover that? band, and you dressed up. You did <laughs> you ratted the ratted hair
2: or, and everything. Did the ratted hair? Did the lipstick? The best part though was I. I also played in a group that was uh, at the beginning of the talent show that just did. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam and smells like teen spirit. So nice. I was all grunged out. And then I had a, a changeover where I had enough time to switch <laughs> out of my grunge outfit and put on my cure outfit and play the cure song. Uh, you know, it's funny
0: that the phrase poser was so commonly thrown around when you we were kids, but posing was fun. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes like you would go out for a night with your friends to somewhere where no one knew you. And it was uh-huh. kind of nice. You were like, they don't know who I am. I can be punker than I actually am tonight, or I can goth it up tonight. <laughs> like, yeah. Definitely. It was the best. Why not? Try on different personas. So okay. you were you were sampling all of the 90s sounds.
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, my first band just sounded like absolute garbage because I, it was an it was every influence that I had. So it was nine-inch nails, but also Afghan wigs. But also like funk rock, like the stuff that was happening locally. But there were
0: there were bands at the time like Mr. Bungle who were doing that well.
2: Oh yeah, but I, we weren't and, talented enough to do it well.
0: Right I, now, I was also in a band that mm-hmm. did that. Uh, we were called Vincent's Other Ear, and and we prided ourselves on that on being genre hopping, of going from like hip hop to funk to whatever else, rock and ska, and just jumping all over the place. Right. And, uh, yeah. And we sounded terrible. Like most, <laughs> we didn't do any one genre. Well, we just did them all horribly. Yeah. That's the best. That's
2: so the 90s. My, that's the nineties.
0: That's the nineties in a nutshell. I think
2: my first memory, I think of you uh, is of you is, um, Bruce Campbell at the, crest Oh, okay. Theater. At the did crest. You, yeah. Did you work that you were the, you were the person.
0: I was the guy he body slammed to the stage. <laughs> I was the, I was the host. Right. I don't know how you took over my podcast again. You're back to interviewing me.
2: Well, I wanted to have You're you. Answer so good a question. at this. I have had a question about, about I've, I've had never a had a guest
0: about, on that. I'm sorry. So so it's now that, that efficiently, Adam Davis effectively, takes the Adam Davis my
2: podcast featuring Adam Davis. <laughs> okay, go ahead. What's your question? Okay, so during the Bruce Campbell um, signing, there, uh-huh. there were like ground rules that were being laid down. Uh And it was like, it was like, Bruce will only sign one thing. And then Bruce was like, no, I'll, I'll sign anything you bring me. And everybody like cheered and applauded. And then then I think somebody said maybe like Bruce, Bruce is only going to be signing from X amount of time to X amount of time. And he was like, no, I'll, I'll sign until the last person gets their last thing. And of course everybody cheered and I thought it was really nice. But then like, was that like a whole bit? So I, it's so funny. I was just talking to
0: Joe, our producer, earlier today about when I worked with Doug Stanhope and his manager tried to screw me out of getting paid. He called me huh? and he's like, hey, you want to open this gig? It's Doug Stanhope. And I was like, OK, great. What are the details? And he's like, it doesn't pay. And I was like, no, <laughs> like, why not? <laughs> and he goes, if you don't want to do it, 100 other comedians will because they want to work with Bruce, or, with, Bruce with Doug. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And so then I get there and I do a good job. And afterwards, Doug gives me a couple hundred bucks. And he says, don't tell Brian I paid you. (laughs) I was like, why? Like, why not just tell Brian to be fair to people? And he's like, no, Brian's a jerk. That's why I have him. Like, you want a jerk on your side. (laughs) And I really, I think that's the kind of thing that was going on with Bruce Campbell. Because all those rules were given to us by his book publisher or his manager. Someone sent those to us. And then Bruce is like, and maybe there's nights when Bruce goes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm not yeah. having a good time and I want to get the hell out of here. But I think he was having a great time. I mean, he body yeah. slammed me to the stage. Yep. <laughs> he played with us. He had a lot of fun. And then he says, no, I'll stay all night and sign. I don't care how many things I sign, you know. Um, so, yeah, but those rules were sent to us by his people. Okay. Um, and, and it was, if it was a bit, we didn't know about it. But I'll tell you, I didn't know he was going to body slam me. <laughs> and when I walked into the green room afterwards, I said, Oh man, if you told me you were going to do that, I could have you know, thrown myself into it more. You caught me off guard. And he goes, Oh no, I didn't want to tell you. Cause I wanted to catch, I wanted it to be a surprise. He's like, your reaction was perfect. <laughs> and it was so funny. I was like, well, okay, thank you. <laughs> you know? Um, so maybe, so maybe he does that in every town. Maybe he like lets them read Just, the rules so he can go, what? No, <laughs> Yeah, it worked right
2: it made you think he was the coolest guy in the world absolutely it was it was great and then when I actually went to go get my mm-hmm. book signed it was during the movie and I finally get up to to Bruce in line and I put my book in front of him and he and I start to say something and he holds up a finger he's like Wait, one second and it was right at the part in the movie where he races oh, movie yeah. right at and the whole place loses their mind, and he just he like had kind of been looking off towards the door, and he's looking. I at I love like, that. And he was like, "I love that every time." And I oh, was that's, like, that's so great! So great.
0: That makes me so happy that all those years after Evil Dead Two came out, he still sits there and gets off on it, rocking the
2: audience. Yeah, it was really, really a great
0: moment. Oh, so I think it was Evil Dead Two. Was it Evil Dead Two, or did we show the original? I can't remember. We, we didn't have guts enough to show the original, did we? Yeah, I think it was two. I'm gonna <laughs> the original so hardcore. Um, yeah. All right, so let's let's Link Eighty. Link Eighty yeah. they got pretty big. It and was, what did you what did you play in Link Eighty?
2: I played guitar, and I joined I joined when Nick was still in the band. But then they went on tour with the guitar player I was going to replace, and in the middle of the tour. Nick came home, quit the band, or the band kicked him out, depending on who you ask. And then the rest of the band came back in the van. Okay. And then about, I mean, a whole bunch of stuff happened in that like month and a half, but it ended with Nick overdosing and dying. Ah. And then the rest of us going, well, he was already out of the band. Let's get a new singer and, and get back to it. And so that's what we did. And how how did that feel?
0: I mean, that must've been a a strange thing for you guys.
2: I, I mean, we talked a little bit about, about being religious or coming up with, I mean, you came up what atheist, but you, I remember there was the story about you dating that girl. No, I was, I was raised,
0: I was raised Christian.
2: Okay. You were raised Christian. I was raised Mormon. And I think I was kind of around the time I was 17, maybe 18, I I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. And and then you're basically told in the Mormon church that if you turn your back on this, like that's worse than like the worst sin that you could commit, which basically just opens you up to, well, then I'll just be horrible. Even though I was never like horrible, but it was like the idea of like going, putting myself in like mortal danger <laughs> make it worth going it. on going on tour with a punk band didn't seem like the end of the world right and like putting myself in like harm's way never seemed like a problem so i was just like let's just do this and and so for like five years straight eight months out of the year i was just punk rock touring in a van and just living like a rat when i was at home like for a few years of that i would i i would stay with my parents but i would stay up all night until the sun came up and then i would sleep until three or four in the afternoon and then leave the house when i was home (laughs) so that i wouldn't have to like be and how did how did your mormon parents they were surprisingly cool about it okay um they it it was definitely a little bit they were a little bit on edge and i was definitely like probably super abrasive Right, but, um, you know, I was just a shitty kid, so they they were still loving about it, I guess, and good, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't horrible, and then eventually, um, I started dating a girl named Liz who played drums in a Sacramento band called Lucky Strike. Yeah, and she. she I remember Lucky Strike, and so I would spend most of the time I was home, I would just stay with her.
0: Okay. How did that work with both of you in touring bands?
2: I mean, did they tour
0: together sometimes?
2: No, never, which sucked. Um, yeah. So we were constantly both on conflicting tours. We had two different booking agents. And so our tours were always routed through the same places, but like on opposite routing. Right. So I would end up in the same place. they They were going to be in Chicago two weeks before they got there. Yeah, yeah, and this was also pre-cell phone, so the way Liz and I would keep <laughs> in contact, uh, it, it was also hard to get. Uh, all the internet then was dial-up too, so you would write a whole long email, and then the, somebody would pick up the phone and it would erase the email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was gnarly. So what? So I had a job when I was home at a company called Crossmark, which is the company that goes into grocery stores in the middle of the night and resets the shelves.
0: Okay.
2: So I would go to Safeway at three in the morning and I'd take all the soup off the shelves and I'd rearrange it according to a schematic and then I'd get somebody to sign off on it and then I'd lie about my hours. And I'd say I was there for like eight hours and I'd only be there for 45 minutes. Nice. And Yeah. So for that job, I had a 1-800 number voicemail that I had to call into uh, to get updates on on what we were supposed to be doing. But since I was always on tour, my, my voicemail almost was always empty. There was, you know, I wasn't doing a ton of jobs, but they kept it active because there were so many of these lines, they weren't policing them. Okay. So I gave Liz my, I gave her my login to this 1-800 number. And we would call the 1-800 number and we would leave, leave voicemails in the 1-800 number for each other. From payphones, from payphones pay all over the United States.
0: I, I loved that uh, they got, they all got erased. I'm sure.
2: Oh well, we, what we would have to do is we would listen to them, er, then erase the message, and then leave a new message for the other person, right? God, so it was, it was there was the, no record of it. It was just it would be there until the next time you got to a payphone,
0: right? That's th- there's something so beautiful about that, and I love all the weird workarounds that. Yeah disappeared when we got rid of cell phones. I remember uh, when I wanted my mom to come pick me up, I would call Collect. Mm-hmm. And she wouldn't accept the charges, which was the plan. Yeah, Just hearing that I was trying to call Collect, let her know I was ready to be picked up. Like all these things to save you from spending two dimes on a phone call.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We uh, We would also buy you know, whenever we had money, we'd buy phone cards right. and, you, and use that to call, to call home. But depending on the phone cards, some of them would start charging you when you were still putting in the number that was verifying what card you were on. Ah! <laughs> and so you would lose like a good, like three to five minutes of your phone call because of that.
0: Ah, the good old days,
2: the good old days. So great. <laughs>
0: So how did Link 80 come crashing to a stop?
2: It was actually my fault. I quit Link 80 and I joined Lucky Strike. Oh, okay. I I had no idea you were in
0: Lucky Strike.
2: uh, Very briefly. I think I maybe played somewhere between four and six shows. There's one picture I have of me playing with them at Capital Garage.
0: Oh, very um, cool. In Sacramento. Wearing
2: wearing an Einstein Neubauten shirt. Nice. Um, (laughs) um, I quit the band they started looking for a guitar player. And in that time I I sold all my guitar gear, bought bass gear, moved to Sacramento, got an apartment. Uh, then the band broke up. The guitar player didn't like me. Um, he was my, also my roommate at the time. So then I had to get a new roommate.
0: Okay. This is the new band. This is Lucky Strike. Yeah. Um, so you, so in the course of doing this, you, you killed two bands.
2: Yeah, basically. (laughs) Re- so I mean, Adam, really, Lucky Strike would Davis, in- would the Destroyer, if would have ended sooner if I hadn't joined. Okay, um, I prolonged its death. Um, but then, so Lucky Strike broke up. Liz broke up with me, and then I was stuck working at the Jamba Juice at Nineteenth and J, <laughs> uh, which is no longer there. Thank God. Yeah. Um, and so then I begged my way back into Link Eighty, and we did one more UK tour, which was awesome. Oh, that's
0: fantastic! Our,
2: yeah, and then our sax player joined RX Bandits, and then that was when we transitioned to to the band Dessa.
0: Okay, and now Dessa, I'm not familiar with what what kind of music is Dessa.
2: Uh, just kind of weird punk rock. Like, it the first record is kind of cool, and then it was just like it was really just us trying to like see if we could push it to that next level. Do Do you know the band American Steel? No. Okay, so there's a band, Gilman band called American Steel, and they they were really good. And then those guys started a band called Communique, which was more polished and more kind of new wavy, and nobody gave a shit about it. Okay. And, And so that was kind of the same lateral movement that we made, where it was like our horns were tired of playing ska, we were all tired of playing ska. If we had gotten one more member, it would have been, like tw- the 20th person in and out of that band. Okay. So we were just like, let's try something new. And, uh, and so then I did that from 2002 until 2008. And that band was one of those situations where it just fizzled at the end. Can there was you, just no can you, motivation.
0: Can you give me a good tour story from being on the road with, uh, like 80?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've told this before, but we played, Oh yeah, and,
0: no, I, I want I want a story you've got. You never want a fresh before. one?
2: I'm just kidding,
0: of course. <laughs> <go ahead. laughs>
2: I mean the whole thing was insane. We we played okay, so we were talking about Mr. Bungle earlier. Um we we were touring with a band called Homegrown from Southern California. Um, and it was around the same time that the California album had come out. And so we were listening to the, God, such a great album. Yeah. We were listening to that album on repeat in our van. And so the, and we're not listening to like, like a couple songs and skipping around. We're listening to the whole album. And so we finished the album as we pull into a gas station and we're in Utah. No, we're in Colorado. And we're like, ah, such a good album get out of the car, walk up to the gas station, walk past the payphone, And I look at the person at the payphone, and it's Mike Patton. Oh my God. And my jaw literally hits the floor and I look over and there's a van parked in the parking lot. And I'm like, I go over to the van. I'm like, are you guys Mr. Bungle? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we're playing. And I was like, where are you guys playing tonight? And they're like, denver and i'm like we're playing in denver and they're like cool we'll put you on the guest list and it turned out that so our trumpet player his father is uh paul nagel who is the keyboard player he he's like a jazz pianist he plays for with like boz skaggs and okay. uh and bobby McFerrin. um the so he knows the bass player from from mr bungle so th- he's like oh yeah you're paul's kid i'll put you guys on the guest list so we finish our set, like little shitheads, finish our set opening for Homegrown, who are like, they're total homies, but they're like shitty, like pop punk. And we we basically tell their audience, we're all we're like, you better buy it. If you want a shirt, buy it right after our set because we're going to go see Mr. Bungle.
0: <laughs> That's the dickest move. Yeah. And like so it's one you- thing to leave. It's one thing to leave, but it's understandable sometimes. Yeah. But to yeah, tell so- the audience... The show that you're all into and paid for, we're bailing on it. Uh, Buy a shirt now.
2: (laughs) Such a dick move. So then, so we bounce, we go see Mr. Bungle. It's fucking phenomenal. It's the most insane shit I've ever seen. They finish playing and and Patton comes over and he's talking to us. And uh, I think Trey, the bass player. And they're like, well, you guys have fun. We're like, dude, that was amazing. And they're like, where are you guys headed next on tour? We're like Salt Lake City. And they're like, that's where we're playing next too. Wanna go, wanna come see us again tomorrow?
0: Oh wow. And we're like,
2: yeah. So we finish our set in Salt Lake City and pull the same shit. And with same with the same headlining band. With the same headlining band. They must
0: be hating. They didn't tell you after the first one, hey man, don't do that shit again. No, because they're they...
2: total, they're total homies. Like I to okay. this day, I'm still friends with all those guys. And the funny <laughs> thing, and the thing, here's the thing about homegrown is those dudes are all rad dudes super good musicians like during sound check, they would be playing like refuse and fugazi riffs and then they would get up on stage and play this weak ass pop punk so it was like i think they knew they were just like this is our, our <laughs> lot in life and like this I is hope. what we're known for but nobody gives a fuck about this like if you guys want to see Mr. bungle we'll go see Mr. Bungle. Like,
0: i just love you being all they're my homies i love them god they were awful like the music was crap i <laughs>
2: Expect any of them to like think that like like I was like thinking they were the shit. And I'm sure lots of people who saw my band were like, yeah, those dudes are tight, but fucking fuck Scott Punk. Like <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, um oh, go ahead. Oh, so the the only the only difference the second night is we were blocked in, like, so we were having to be total dicks to get our van out. We're like, we need okay. to get our van out of here so we can go see Mr. Bungle. <laughs> and then and then that was the reason we missed the opening band, which was Dillinger Escape Plan. Oh, wow. Which would have been mind-blowing. Dude, that That's so good. Now, I've seen Mr. Bungle,
0: but before California came out, I saw yeah. the early tours. Uh, three times I saw them. Nice. Incredible. I mean, live. And, and they're jerks. They, they came out on stage and they played uh, Welcome Back, Cotter. Mm-hmm. And then they all looked at each other. Mike Patton goes, creative differences. And they all walked off stage. And they stayed off stage for like almost half an hour. It was a near riot. Jerry Perry, the promoter, is on stage going, everyone, please calm down. They'll come back. Calm down. <laughs> then they come back and they play Welcome Back, Cotter, in Spanish. And they go, ah, much better. <laughs> and then they, then they did their set. <laughs> uh, That's amazing. The, the bass player hung himself at the show at the second level. Like in the middle of a song, he gets up on a stool, pulls a noose down, and then he's just swinging there and they all go, oh, damn. So they all walk off stage and they just leave his body hanging (laughs) there. And then eventually, again, near Riot, Mike Patton comes out dressed as like a dominatrix and he uh, whips the guy back to life and then they finish their song. Like literally finish like right, you know, on (laughs) the same beat of the song where they stopped. Um, Just one of the best live bands I've ever seen in my life. So good. Yeah. Um, We are music geeking harder than I I, (laughs) To stick to one subject for this long on the show is unusual and I love it. I I want to ask you had a
2: big love fest with Corbett about about um, Huey Lewis. uh,
0: Yes, he dudes really. Now, Okay, I was going to ask you about one more band, but I'm going to first ask how you feel about Huey Lewis. Uh,
2: I like um, I like Huey Lewis, but I'm not like. I'm not like a buff on it. You're
0: not, you're not in like with Huey Lewis.
2: No, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn it off if it was on. Like it's good. All right. It's just, I don't know enough about it to have like an informed opinion. What is
0: your involvement with Vantana Rowe?
2: Um, it,
0: <sighs> and did I pronounce it right?
2: Yes, you did. Okay. I'm just like, i a, a super fan. Like, but you've done
0: things to kind of help promote them and stuff.
2: Oh, absolutely. Like, I I will hold them up as one of my favorite bands of all time. Like, they are so incredibly creative, such a, a force to be reckoned with, and have packed so much life into, into a short period of time Um, that I, I almost feel like getting into a van with them is like, must be some sort of like... Way to like time travel and compress time, <laughs> <laughs> and and there are they a couple the two of them yeah so
0: it's, they're it's, a couple they live in a van and most mm-hmm. of their gigs are performed in the van or standing
2: right outside the van. Yes. Do they also accept gigs in clubs? They do sometimes, and and right before the pandemic hit, they were doing a lot more of that, and it okay, was, and it was really ramping up, and it was getting really good, and then the pandemic hit and force them back into the van but they would go play
0: for people standing in line yeah for a genre you know going to see someone that that audience wasn't necessarily going to appreciate them
2: yeah so one of their favorite spots to to play these drive-by shows at was um the warfield in san francisco and i drove their van uh with aaron Carnes. he was riding along to write an article about them uh uh, we drove by the Warfield three times in a row for a Jaw Rule show.
0: Okay, and how did that and, audience respond to Vantana Row? Uh,
2: very positively. It's it's the staff at the Warfield that that gets irritated. <laughs> um, you know, if you're waiting in line, you're bored, and then you see this van drive up that's you know kind of covered in graffiti, and and then all of a sudden the doors open and there's all this insane music coming out of it. You know, and it only happens for a minute, like like a solid minute. And then we stop and we drive away. So what on earth could the,
0: could the venue object to?
2: Come on, we're entertaining your audience while they're waiting. They're worried that you're blocking traffic, that you're going to cause a nuisance that, you know, you're going to attract police activity. So I, I get it, but at the same time, like, come on, it's, it's so fun. And then don't
0: they, they have a lot of tracks on Spotify. Aren't they going for the volume thing of just. They have,
2: they, they are so prolific. They, in the short span of time, they've been a band. They've put out, I mean, they'll officially say it's like seven records, I think. But it's more like 30 at this point. That's great. Um, Just because they, they have their own mobile recording rig and their favorite thing to do. The only thing they like to do is their band. So, and they live in that van and constantly are just creating music because their recording setup is in there. I recorded all the vocals for the Omnigon record in their van. That's great. And Jamie mixed the Omnigon record in the van and it sounds, it sounds great. And uh, they've gone from being like a weird hardcore band with electronics to like, I guess now they call themselves kind of like crust wave. Okay. But but like everything, like there's a whole through line in there where like some of the stuff is like kind of emo without being whiny. And some of the stuff is, is very almost like party rock, but without being stupid.
0: Yeah. And I could, I could see them getting along with boredom's fans. Like, yeah. And and sort of undefinable in the same way that the Boredoms are, where they're just yeah. all over the board. But uh, they're wonderful, and I, I hope people will check them out. I want to talk to you about the, a couple of projects that you are currently working on. Sure. Um, Omnigon. So you guys are not able to play during the pandemic. Are you just putting it on hold? Are you doing some songwriting? What, what's going on with Omnigon?
2: Um, so Omnigon is mostly – it's a rotating – membership in the live setting. But as far as the band goes, it's myself and Barry Carpini who lives out in Manteca. So we both were in Link 80 and Dessa together. So we have a lot of shared history. And so we will just send voicemail memos back and forth. Oh, wow. Um, to, to say, here's, here's a song idea. And then recently I kind of dug in on the computer and the only problem with recording on a computer now is there's too many options like you can get lost in the weeds of just trying to make it sound good. And I finally just had to tell myself, it's going to just sound like it sounds like this isn't to release. I just need to document this so that I can show it to other musicians. So we can go to a real studio when there's no pandemic and record these songs. And since I made that decision to kind of treat my computer like a four track, it's a lot easier to just deliver stuff. And the other night, uh, and then also one of our drummers, Justin, he has an electronic drum kit that sounds fine for demoing stuff and he can play it in his, in his house and not annoy everybody. Right. Um, so I was like, if I, if I send you tracks, can you, can you play drums over the top of them? He's like, absolutely. And so he sent me back one the other day and it sounds excellent. And then he's had this idea for years. He, he's like, you know, this recording, you know, I know it doesn't sound good enough to put out for Omnigon, but it sounds way better than a lot of stuff that's out there. He's like, I've always wanted to do a Home Alone-themed hardcore band where (laughs) all the lyrics are are lines from Home Alone. (laughs) And I was like, absolutely, I'm down. And so that night, I started at 9.30 and ended at midnight. I recorded three hardcore songs, like guitars, drums, and bass, like all the way through, finished. And they sound great. So eventually we'll put out our Home Alone hardcore band
0: so you're keeping you're keeping busy during the pandemic. Are you eating a lot of burritos?
2: I have eaten no burritos since last March.
0: Ah, now that hurts uh, yeah. you What gave you the idea to eat a burrito live every day on Facebook <laughs> and uh,
2: I, can I you just, offer before... any
0: theory as to why it was so appealing <laughs> and almost hypno like meditative to watch you eat a burrito?
2: <laughs> I mean, one of the things you do with people like when you get together with a friend, the main thing you're going to probably do is go get something to eat.
0: You get together and break bread. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and so I feel like for people who are my friends who I don't get to see in person, it was, it was a chance to just kind of hang out and, and kind of do that like a one sided sort of way. You're just watching me eat a burrito, which is kind of gross. But also, you know, <laughs> before the pandemic, I felt like the live, element of Instagram and Facebook was really stupid. I didn't see the point of it. And right. so I would just do dumb stuff like I would set up my my phone pointing at a bowl of watermelon and then I would watch a horror movie and then I would eat the whole bowl of watermelon during the horror movie <laughs> and just broadcast the bowl of watermelon empty. <laughs> Cuz I just thought it was funny. I was just like that's a stupid <sighs> thing to do. That's great. And that was the first thing I did. And then I was just like, oh, I have a burrito. I'm going to I'm gonna film myself eating a burrito. And then everybody just thought it was funny. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep doing it. And the funny thing think? is, is I, I wouldn't film myself eating. I wouldn't film myself every time I was eating a burrito. I ate a lot of burritos. So right. people would always be like, wow, you eat a lot of burritos. I'm like, you don't even know the half of it. Like oh, all of burritos.
0: <laughs> uh, do you think that you would be this... Creative and creative in a way that is experimental, if you hadn't grown up Mormon, like how much is that a part of this identity
2: i you know I think and I think I would have been who I am, regardless of that whole thing, yeah, I think I could have been raised in any sort of way. I think the Mormon structure. It, it, well, was just, neither, like it was just like you was, said, when you, when you lost it, you lost everything. You lost all your structure. Well, no, and I so just, you, I lost, I lost the ability to, to worry about the future. Like okay. if, if, if you're, if you're told that when you die, you'll be worse off than the murderers, you're just like, well, fuck it then. Like you can't hurt me. Like, cause I'm not going to murder anybody. Like but that's, I don't even drink. I don't smoke. But like. To say that just because I don't go to church and pay tithing, that I'm gonna be in some sort of mor- mortal danger. Like, it's like, well, I may as well just do whatever then. Now, that's the short effect, but eventually yeah. you have to kind of
0: build for yourself what you actually believe. Cause you don't keep yeah. believing that. I don't think you believe that now.
2: No, no, not at all. But, but it, when, when it, I think that comes after you don't die.
0: And right you realize
2: you realize oh <laughs> shit like cuz like i i mean I which i meant to commend
0: that. you on congratulations Th- on not dying much. well done but i just
2: i just feel like all the you know you're fed the line especially when you play punk rock that you know you're not going to live past 27 and right. and having been in a band with somebody that died at 19 i was like oh yeah death is real and like it's right. coming for us and you know we had like a we had a pretty bad no it wasn't that bad we had a van accident my first tour, we spun out on black ice and I was just like, yep. Okay. This is just what happens when you do this. And one of my favorite things on the in Defense of ska podcast is when I talk to other musicians about their van tours, I like to hear about their van accidents. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is morbid and crazy, but is also like a weird rite of passage thing for a band. Like, the corniest bands you can think of the bands that are like top 40 bands have had van accidents. And to me that legitimizes them that, that like if you go through a van accident and you continue doing it, you're a lifer. (laughs) You know what? I've toured a lot
0: and I have not had an accident. Well, I mean, we've had little fender benders, but we have not had the touring accident yet. Yeah, there's well, still time for me. Hey, I played I'm Gilman Street you. very late in life. I'll get my bad accident. <laughs> Just, you a mentioned you, you mentioned the podcast. Yeah. So Rick, what what's up with ska? What, and I know Aaron has a whole book about this, but in the podcast, it's called "In Defense of Ska." I find if there's any Brits listening, or maybe even anyone outside of America, I always get the question: Why does ska need defending? But, yeah. but because Ska didn't originally get big here and then it got big here in the 90s, it's seen mm-hmm. as a very, like, a fad type of thing. Yeah. But it's I, weird I to mean, me that that still persists. Like, people I mean, know who Fishbone and Operation Ivy are. Like, people, like <laughs> the specials, uh, come on, I mean, the, people the, know who they the are now. The thing is,
2: is everybody, there's all these bands that, that were cool. Like, the ones you, you mentioned, Fishbone, Operation Ivy, uh, Mighty, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Um, and the special they were never cool who mighty by boston's they just had bad suits but But they (laughs) they were like a hardcore band that wore dumb suits like all right straight up um but anyhow like the whole image of ska punk gets linked to aquabats goldfinger and real big fish
0: and All not, of whom not
2: to are fun. Of these bands off. right? They're totally, to, exactly, totally fun, but um, a very small part of the equation. Yeah, and 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 you know, goofy, right? To to a d- degree, at least. Right. Aquabats. Aquabats are goofy on purpose. Right. That would be like taking a band like Steak Sauce Mustache, who are like a hardcore metal band, but are goofy as fuck, or Oakley Dokley, who. are... All dress up as Ned Flanders yes. and play and play hardcore. If if you were to point at those bands and say that's hardcore, hardcore dumb, like hardcore, it's dumb. not fair. Like it's not fair to to measure the merits of a whole genre of music and not even a genre of music, a style of playing on on a very select handful of bands, and there and the youngsters who emulated that music for a brief period of time. And it has completely stained how people think about the music where it's a much larger world. And so it's trying to say, no, look, there's all this other stuff. And to focus on this one little thing is so shallow and uh, small minded. And then there's and, also just the, the dumb jokes that people make on Twitter about ska, which are lazy. Where, which are just the laziest fucking jokes, and so we've we've taken to just calling people out on Twitter um and it's and it's not that you can't make a joke about ska but you need to make an informed joke about ska
0: and and any good comedian if they're gonna to try to make fun of something it's best if it's something they love
2: yeah exactly but
0: it better at the very least be something they know a lot about yeah or they're just I mean I'll give you an example I'm not going to call her out by name because I actually like her a lot But (laughs) a comedian friend of mine posted Ska is just what happened when like hyperactive rich white kids on cocaine got a hold of reggae. And everyone lined up to explain that Ska came first and that it was invented by black people and (laughs) that you're really doing them a disservice. To credit it to, you know, dumb white kids on Coke. Uh, it was just a dumb... I was like, you're, you're making a joke about a thing that you don't know anything about. and
2: it Right. You, you There's so it. much other music that's linked to hyperactive white kids on Coke. <laughs> For <laughs> yeah, sure. A lot of it uh,
0: great, by the way. Yeah. I yeah,
2: totally. <laughs> I'm not slagging any of it off. I'm just saying. It's... <laughs> ska is probably down the list. I yeah, think a, Laura, Laura Jane Grace from Against Me makes really good informed Ska jokes on Okay. Twitter. Um, oh,
0: really uh, like uh, uh, um, oh, God! Dang it! What's the what's the onion for punk rock? Uh, my mind's blanking right oh, now. Oh, hard times.
2: Hard times. Hard times is
0: great at it. They hard nail is, it.
2: Yeah, I'm sure there's probably tons of people at hard times that listen, still listen to Operation Ivy and Slapstick and tons of stuff off the Asian Man Records catalog. And so right. they they have the they have the know how to say things in a way that are actually funny like that they had the story about you know the man in the bunker who's preparing for the fourth wave of ska right <laughs> which is hilarious
0: and now you've recently interviewed uh, some people from the the kind of um bilingual uh spanish ska scene yeah coming up out of mexico and and other places south uh and, and in south uh southern california and yeah, so it east, is east la is it is huge
2: do, I had no idea, Keith. So Omnigon went down. We played our second, our second show ever in LA at this place called Los Globos, and we were the second band on a seven-band bill. And I, you know, I expected maybe a hundred or two hundred kids to roll out to this show. It was packed. It was sold out by the time we went, we we got on
0: stage, and in a, a good-sized venue.
2: And it was a good size venue. Yeah, it was a, it was, I think it was four or 500 kids. And That's the crazy so thing was, is everybody stuck around for the entire show and everyone danced so hard for the entire show, like God, I love skanking, it skanking, but also like circle pitting, but like still skanking, not like violent circle pitting. That's like, the best. And the best part was at one in the morning, the bands are all done they are just playing music over the PA to clear people out, still dancing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it and it's funny because it, like like with, within comedy, it reminds me of like uh, people like uh, Paul Rodriguez, uh, Chi and Chong, um, oh, George Lopez. They were getting big audiences and the mainstream wouldn't touch them. And they weren't getting late night. yeah. Um, Until they're filling venues so big that the mainstream couldn't ignore them anymore. They were undeniable. But they had to do that first. They had to DIY it themselves first. But we're talking 30, 40 years ago. Like, Mm -hmm. it's so weird to me that that's still the case. That, you know... Uh, you know, Oh no, this is Spanish rock or this is bilingual. Like that's, uh, that's not going to sell. It's like, well, no, it is.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the the weird thing to us was that, you know, in down in Southern California, you have the East LA scene, which is so strong. And then you have the orange County scene, which is where, you know, bands like real big fish and say Ferris came from. Right. And none of those bands cross pollinate at all. Like, Bizarre. You'll never see those those bands from the O.C. scene play an East LA show, and vice versa. Which is needs that wall needs to be broken down. Like, there's no reason those bands shouldn't be playing together. And then also from from the perspective of of Aaron and I, we grew up in in Gilroy, which is predominantly Latino. So like, even though like I unfortunately am like the whitest dude ever, like I very much identify with with uh, Latino culture. Like, cause that's what I grew up around.
0: Right. I grew up in home gardens in, in yeah. Corona, California. It's the same sort of thing where it's like, I mean, I'm not trying to say I am something I'm not, but those are my neighbors. My homies yeah, growing you up. You have an
2: appreciation. We, for, we have those a connection. Are the, those yeah. are the, the people that you, that you fell in love with. Like those are the people that you, you spent the most time with at an early right. age. And, and so like going and playing in East LA doesn't feel alien at all to me. It feels, it feels very warm and welcoming. And I want that for all the other ska bands. I, I, I can't say enough good things about the East LA scene and about the bands down there. There's a band called, uh, Ocho Calacas that I really want to play with after, uh, this pandemic is over. Keith, they're like, they play with like, they played the Slipknot Festival in Mexico, but they're a Holy ska shit. band. so like
0: okay wait i just say say the phrase slipknot uh, festival in mexico again for me
2: slipknot festival in mexico oh god that's beautiful (laughs) yeah so they're they're all there's these dudes all in like all black outfits gruff they have dual vocal dual vocals super gruff vocals heavy fast but with horns and ska
0: that's so great so, well, thanks for doing the good work, man. Save the ska. <laughs> I, you know, I just, I just love music. I like. I don't even particularly like ska, but ska's the thing. I mean, I love ska. I don't like ska above or more than other forms of music, but it's the one I mouth off about the most because of all the stupidity about it.
2: Yeah, I uh, think I'm, I'm in the same, the same spot as you I, right now. Like, I like. I, a lot I used of to be.
0: Music. I used to be that way about country and disco. Yeah. And now more people have come around now. Now I see people who before were like, I hate it. Or like, oh man, Hank is the best. And uh, I love the Bee Gees. So I'm like, okay, now it's time for you to get over your bullshit about Ska.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> Adam, thank you. Good luck in all your endeavors. And I can't wait until we can narboot together again. That's going to be the best. Uh, where? What's the best place to send people to find information about Omnigon and about the uh, podcast?
2: Uh, for Defense Omnigon, you can go on um, Instagram. It's uh, Omnigon, but spelled with zeros instead of O's. So that's uh, 0 M N I G 0 N E. Uh, we also have a Twitter, but I'm not on there as much. Um, you can follow In Defense of Ska on both of those spelled exactly like it sounds. Uh, if you want to find out more about Narboots, uh, Narboots is G N A. RB and on uh, Instagram, it's again zeros instead of O's. And uh, we are all narboots.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I am your host, Keith Lowell Jensen. My producer is Joe Honor. Our art was done by Joe Honor and our editor audio engineer is Jack Matrenga. Joe and Jack are with HyperPixel, a production company with a focus on digital marketing and e commerce offering daily management of your website, social media accounts, and digital marketing campaigns. Our theme song was done by the great DJ Real. And uh, once again, thanks to our sponsor, Burley Beverages. Uh, Remember, just go to our Instagram page and you'll find a post about the contest. Like that post. Make sure you follow us and Burley Beverages and then start tagging your friends in the comments on that post. And we will be giving someone a wonderful basket of goodies including a sampling of syrups i mean this is like gourmet awesome stuff uh and it's not cheap (laughs) so we'll give you a a nice package of that along with the signed copy of my book hey listen if you haven't already go watch my comedy special not for rehire on amazon prime and leave a review because that always helps i just found out we're also going to be featured on roku so watch for the special there subscribe and review to the podcast tell a friend because that is what helps us the most i love you much for listening thank you